Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the, the epistle of James, the second chapter, beginning with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of them says to them, uh, one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray now that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. When I was in about sixth or seventh grade, a friend and I really got into playing Monopoly. And uh, that was just all we played every time we'd get together in the afternoons or once in a while on weekends, and it just really got into playing Monopoly. And once in a while, I would pull the get-out-of-jail-free card. And if you've ever played Monopoly, that orange card meant that you now possess the ability to get out of jail if you happen to land in jail with one of your turns. And I felt so brazen about how I could roll the dice if I had the get-out-of-jail-free card because it meant that no matter what happened, if I ever landed in jail, I had an easy way out. Sometimes in my spiritual life, I can treat God's grace that way. I can treat the forgiveness of sins that I have in my Savior like that, that I now have this, this brazen, bold card that will get me out of any trouble before God, and I don't have to care so much. I can be bold and brazen about about my sin because I can always say I have God's forgiveness and it's full forgiveness it's for every sin I've ever done it's that very temptation for Christians that that James is addressing for us and that uh, God would have us put into its proper context and understanding I'm very tempted at times to have what I call for myself a hypocritical disconnect a hypocritical disconnect between my life and this faith that I claim to profess. And it's, uh, for me, I know it's a very powerful lure of Satan on me and on my mind. I, it's easy for me to think to myself, as long as I can quote the right Bible passage, as long as I got my doctrine straight, as long as I'm going to the right church, I can continue on in my sin, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter to God. What's the big deal? Dr. C.F.W. Walther addressed this once back in the 1800s, and it's a very interesting quotation. He says, You may regard all the doctrines of the Lutheran Church as true, but if your heart is still in its old condition, filled with the love of sin, if you still act contrary to your conscience, your whole faith is mere sham. He says it's like a prisoner who is pardoned and allowed to just completely get out of prison but decides to go back and live in the prison cell that he's been freed from. So James is addressing this to his readers and his hearers and the entire Christian church 
this danger of falling back into this sort of false thinking. And he's addressing Christian people. He's talk, he talks to them. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. God had planted this wonderful trust in their hearts to believe in Christ as their Savior. The very thing that can take them to heaven. And this wonderful faith in Christ. They had learned about what Jesus had done for them. Paying for all their sins on the cross as he's done for every one of us here today. They had learned about the beautiful robe of righteousness that they have by faith in him that will, will have them uh, enter heaven someday. They had learned that wonderful teaching like you and I have from St. Paul. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. And these people had truly come to know and love and appreciate the gospel and everything God had done for them. But apparently at least some of them now had started to fall into this false delusion, which is a temptation for all of us, that somehow because of this wonderful grace that their lives don't matter, that God could care less about what we do in regard to his commandments. And their lack of love toward even their fellow man was starting to be evident. And so James uses this little illustration. If, if a brother or a sister comes to you and and they're, they're destitute for food and so on. And you say, oh, yeah, sure, great, go, go, I'll do well, I, I care about you, but then doesn't do anything about it. That's the disconnect he's talking about. That's the temptation that I have to disconnect what I profess with my mouth and, and what I claim to care about in my faith and yet maybe not produce that fruit in my life. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I, this is a temptation that all Christians have through all stages of life, trust me. But I think it's really powerful in your 20s. I think there's a stage in life where it's very easy to, to think, I, I, I love this faith. There's a lot of things about Christianity I really, I really appreciate, and I love this whole free gospel of salvation through Christ and all my sins being forgiven. But for right now in my life, maybe there's some places where I don't necessarily want to follow everything God tells me in his word. Maybe I don't really want to follow the good shepherd in matters of maybe my sexuality or maybe how I look at, at my language and how I use that. Maybe those things don't really matter. As long as I can always come back and claim to be part of the right church, it doesn't really matter to me or to God how I care about those type of things. And I know for me this is a real temptation. And how important, sincere, authentic repentance is in our hearts when God that works that inside of us. It's important for us to remember that it's possible to go to the right church, to be part of the right church body with the right teaching, and still go to hell. Okay? It's possible. To, to let our faith just become head knowledge and yet not have it really penetrate to the heart. True faith can die even when we're sitting in church. Jesus says, I am the vine you, believers in me, are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, in other words, having sincere, authentic faith in him in your heart, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And notice he doesn't say, 
you should bear much fruit, or he had better bear much fruit, he says, you will bear fruit. It's a natural byproduct of having a sincere faith in Christ to just love God and his commandments and to care about them. Certainly, we fail at them all the time and need to come back. That's why daily contrition and repentance to go back to our baptism is so necessary. But there will be this sincere desire to listen to the word of God. A living branch on the vine cannot help but produce grapes when it's connected to that living vine of Christ. True Christian faith is a living spiritual organism inside of the heart, created in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and it will naturally produce a love for God and his commandments. St. Paul said it simply, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Think about the thief on the cross. If there's any example in the Bible of somebody who is purely saved by grace, right? The thief on the cross. His life was so nasty and awful, society had to put him to death. That's how horrible it was. And, and he admits that's what he was like. And in his dying moments, the Holy Spirit works faith in his heart to believe in the very Savior who's dying right next to him, paying for all of his sins so he can go to heaven. And Jesus promises him, because of his faith in, in him, Today you'll be with me in paradise. But think about his life. He had no real opportunity to, to show forth good works, but they were there, weren't they? He rebukes the other criminal. He even tries to evangelize the other criminal. He becomes a missionary on the cross while he's dying. He prays to Christ. He praises Christ. He, know, he recognizes that Christ is the one alone that can take him into the kingdom of heaven. All the things right in his dying moments where he expresses and confesses this faith, even those are the grapes that are produced because he's now connected to the vine of Christ. Martin Luther said it this way, Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. He goes on to say, Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question it asked, is asked, it has already done them and is constantly doing them. Or we think about the, the woman, that, uh, the adulterous woman that came to anoint Jesus' feet with her tears, so appreciative of his gospel. Jesus says about her to those who are witnessing this, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. In other words, just look at the outpouring of love for me that she is showing. That's a demonstration of the fact that she knows her sins are all wiped away. How joyful it makes God your heavenly Father when he has worked faith in your heart to now look down into the lives of you, one of his children, whom he has washed clean of all of your sins, whom he has dressed in the perfection of Christ so that you can come to heaven someday, how it pleases him and gives him joy to see the fruits of faith of that marvelous grace in your life as his children. Amen.